Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Australia on this day. I'm Michael Adams, and today we're heading back to Wednesday the 10th of July, 1907. That was the day the great rival cities of Sydney and Melbourne were finally united by telephone. This was heralded, quite rightly, as a red-letter day for telephony in Australia. But there were a couple of catches about what you could say and how much you had to pay on that first day of interstate voice communication. By 1907, many urban Australians were at least familiar with Alexander Graham Bell's wonderful invention. The first telephone exchange had begun operations in Melbourne in August of 1880, and the city soon after had its first phone book, or at least phone page, that listed the 44 paying subscribers who lived around the city. What's fascinating to me about this is that on the 11th of November that year, 1880, select Melburnians were able to phone a friend and discuss that day's big news, the hanging of Ned Kelly. Over the next two decades, the other colonies followed Victoria's lead, and by Federation in 1901, Australia had about 33,000 phones in homes and businesses. What Australia didn't have, particularly in Melbourne and Sydney, was an agreement about where the national capital city should be. That was still the case six years later, as preparations were being made for the first Sydney to Melbourne phone service. The capital city question was so vexatious that phone users on that first day were banned from discussing the matter. Not that anyone would have been too surprised by this because successive postmasters general had created a lot of rules about what you could and couldn't say on telephone calls. The regulations included not engaging the operator in conversation, pronouncing naught as O, and saying double when saying the same number twice consecutively. So you'd say O double three instead of naught three three. One regulation said the department wasn't able to guarantee the attendance of the person desired at the number you asked for, while another regulation stipulated that you weren't to complain to the operator about any aspect of the service. So now, added to the rule book was a prohibition on saying something along the lines of, Old man, Melbourne is capital for the capital. How this ban was to be enforced wasn't clear. That's because, per the regulations, the phone operators, who were known as the exchange Hello Girls, as in you'd say, Hello Girl, put me through to double three, double O, were supposed to not take note of what was being said during conversations, while also keeping an ear on the call to ensure the line was clear and to affect the disconnection when goodbyes had been said. The Sydney to Melbourne phone line spanned 600 miles. It was made of strong and heavy copper wires interlaced and hung on new poles. The network had cost £46,686, of which New South Wales had paid more than two-thirds, which was fair enough as there was more of the state to cover. But all that planning and expense towards the big day, the 10th of July 1907, nearly came to O. I mean, nearly came to naught. 
As the Adelaide Advertiser reported, quote, Great dismay was manifested in the line-repairing branch of the Telegraph Department today when it was discovered that the Sydney telephone line was down between Melbourne and Seymour. The staff was immediately got to work to repair the damage and the line will be in order for the official opening tomorrow. The breakage was probably caused by the high winds of today and the day before. But it is significant that although the interstate telephone line has been constructed for a considerable distance during some months past, it has never been inspected by a responsible officer of the department. I'm going to let you insert your own Telstra joke here. Thankfully, the technicians got the job done, there were no more high winds and the official schedule could be followed. And what a schedule it was. Seemingly, it had been devised so that those making and receiving those first calls were of relatively equal standing and standing in the right places in rival cities, Sydney and Melbourne. At 11am at Federal Government House in Macquarie Street in Sydney, the Governor-General, Lord Northcote, was to call Victoria's acting Governor, Sir John Madden, at the State Parliament. But when the time came, such esteemed gentlemen couldn't be expected to handle pesky technical things, so Lord Northcote's secretary made the call and it was answered by Victoria's chief engineer. So it was actually two underlings who made history before handing the phones to their respective bosses so they could exchange pleasantries. As Sydney's Daily Telegraph described it, the courtesies incidental to the greeting over, Lord Northcote remarked that it was a great pleasure to him to be associated in such a way with Sir John in the inauguration of an enterprise which he felt sure, quote, will bring the two largest cities of Australia into closer communication. Sir John said it was a happy coincidence the call should happen on the same day he read in the press that New South Wales was having a record year of prosperity. He rang off with... All good wishes to Sydney. Once Sir John Madden had hung up, his chief engineer, proving a bit of a suck-up, declared that his boss had, quote, the best telephone voice in Australia. The next Sydney-Melbourne conversation was between the governor's wives. Lady Northcote told Lady Madden she hoped she wasn't exhausting herself with preparations for the upcoming exhibition of women's work. Lady Madden told Lady Northcote not to worry herself because everything was going splendidly. From Sydney, the New South Wales Premier, Joseph Carruthers, was connected with the Melbourne Federal Government offices to speak with Sir William Lyne, acting Prime Minister, because Alfred Deakin was off sick. Mr Carruthers proclaimed to the press that he'd heard Sir William, quote, as if he was sitting at the table alongside me. For the rest of that day, the line was thrown open. Lord Mayors, Chairman of Chambers of Commerce, members of the Stock Exchange and various other public chaps got to chat with their interstate counterparts. So did the editors of Melbourne's Age and Sydney's Daily Telegraph, who immediately recognised this was going to be a game-changer in the newspaper game. The most charming conversation of the day came when Postmaster General Austin Chapman, who was in Victoria for the event and whose birthday it happened to be, called his wife at their home in Mossman in northern Sydney. When their little son got on the phone, he said, Where are you, father? You can't be in Melbourne, for I can hear you splendidly. And how did people go with that banned federal capital chat? The Daily Telegraph reported that no one breached the regulation. Quote, Otherwise, the language might have caused the wires to snap and resulted in Mr Carruthers being disconnected for using parliamentary words not allowed under the telephone regulations. 
That same newspaper the next day editorialised, quote, The successful opening of telephone communication between Sydney and Melbourne yesterday afforded another remarkable example of how the world is moving. There are many men in both cities who recollect the time when the transmission of a message from one capital to the other was a matter of days or perhaps weeks. It is now reduced to seconds. People can converse directly with the words as they fall from their lips, picked up and instantly transmitted the whole 600 miles on the wings of harnessed lightning. On the day those words appeared, the 11th of July 1907, the phone line was opened to the public in Sydney and Melbourne from 8am. The question was, would ordinary people actually use it? Making a call wasn't easy. A phone subscriber who wanted to use the service from his or her home or office had to go to the post office and deposit the fee of six shillings per three minutes. Meanwhile, non-subscribers could use the service by going to a telephone bureau. So it wasn't convenient and it certainly wasn't cheap. Three minutes cost six shillings, which is $45 adjusted for inflation. If you think that's a lot, wait, because there's more. Six shillings was what a lucky manual worker might get paid in 1907 for a full day's work. If you had to put in 8, 10 or even 12 hours labour for three minutes on the phone to Melbourne or Sydney, you'd want to have something pretty important to say. Postmaster General Chapman justified the expense by saying it was cheaper than similar calls in other nations. He reasoned that an urgent telegram of just 16 words from Melbourne to Sydney cost two shillings. A reply was the same price for the same word count, so four shillings for 32 words. Now, for just two shillings more, two people could speak hundreds of words over three minutes. Fair enough, but on that first day the interstate line was open to the public, there were just 34 paying conversations, 21 from Melbourne and 13 from Sydney. These numbers didn't improve over the following days and weeks. The government's hope was that once the service had more than 50 paying calls per day, it'd start to show a profit and then the price of calls could come down. That first year though, the service ran at a loss of more than £500 and thereafter trying to break even was a constant challenge and it'd stay that way as long distance connections were made to other state capitals, Adelaide in 1913, Brisbane in 1923, Perth in 1930 and Hobart in 1935. As for phone operators connecting long-distance calls, they'd be employed in exchanges until STD, subscriber trunk dialing, became available coast-to-coast from the early 1970s. These days, of course, it's as easy to call Sydney as it is to call San Francisco, as easy to call Melbourne as it is Mumbai, with a little computer-come-TV-come-camera in all of our pockets. And you can even talk about all things capital, and you don't have to say O instead of naught. I'm Michael Adams and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia. This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.